0: For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. and made intercession for the transgressors. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. so uh... But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God.
1: Hey, everybody. Good evening. It's an honor to be able to speak to you on this Good Friday evening. I hope you are all well. Our passage for tonight is a continuation of the great teaching we've had from the book of Colossians. I am reading Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15, and I'm using the New Living Translation. That is Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the, the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The Word of the Lord. I love baseball. Some baseball players cannot hit a curveball. The movement on the pitch at high velocity makes it almost impossible to hit. If the batter can't see the spin on the ball, they don't know it's curving. The coronavirus has thrown us a curveball, to quote the old adage. It's imperative that we look to Jesus daily in order to see the spin on the ball. In a very small way, I was thrown a curve regarding this teaching I was originally scheduled for last Sunday. And for weeks, I had known this and I had looked over the passage. I'd really felt to focus on the words we just read in verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him. That's where I've been on my spiritual journey, really for a couple of years. And it's been very meaningful to me. But then the, the pandemic reached us and the cornerstone teaching schedule was thrown off. Jim Gosher delivered a heartfelt and encouraging message last Sunday, and suddenly I was scheduled for a message on Good Friday. I wonder if anyone else has experienced any changes from COVID-19. I had to laugh in a Zoom call when Justin jokingly said, and then Mike will seamlessly take his passage and make it fit on Good Friday. Boom. Curveball. Steerike. The good news is, it wasn't strike three. At least I hope so. So I'm going to drop down a few sentences in the passage to verses 13 to 15. This happens to be a made-to-order passage, a perfect text for Good Friday. It's like God knew what was ahead or something. Verse 15 tells us, Jesus won a victory on the cross. That's the main message of the night. Jesus won a victory on the cross. His pain and suffering brought about a great result, victory over the spiritual rulers and authorities. He won over those spiritual powers of this world who would conspire with, and who would empower empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking to bind us in chains. John, the beloved apostle, also talks of the victory on the cross when he says he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. The sins of all the world. How many sins is that? Consider the number of sins of 7 billion people. Add on those billions of people who have lived before us but are no longer here. If each one sins one time, that's far more than 7 billion sins. But we all know that we sin many more times than once. God spoke through Amos saying, I know the vast number of your sins. I wouldn't want to know even the number of my sins alone, but Jesus' victory on the cross atoned for all of our sins. We have been forgiven. The power of what Jesus did provides forgiveness for an incomprehensible number of sins, or should I say, at least the potential for forgiveness of all those sins. The dark powers in an unseen, yet very real realm have been publicly shamed. Victory is ours through the mercy of God. For most of my Christian life, I've struggled with lingering guilt and condemnation after I sinned. My inner thoughts might be, Ah, keep going back to this sin, God. You know how often I've fallen. Have you forgiven me? I'm so frustrated with myself. I also felt that the Lord was a little bit mad at me, a little bit fed up. So, then I had to go back to work again to regain his favor. Maybe 18 months ago, I had the thought, why, if Jesus atoned for gazillions of sins on the cross, do I wonder if God will forgive me again for this sin? Why can't we just believe? Why, like the thief on the cross, can't I just say, I'm forgiven? God can handle our failure because the atoning death of Jesus is so full and so glorious. A teacher I like has said, God has expected more failure from you than you expected from yourself. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure. But what more can the victory on the cross mean? It means freedom. David was guilty of adultery with Bathsheba, murder, cover-up that was exposed, and then of a time of deep repentance. His sin cost the life of his son. Scripture says the shepherd king of Israel knew that there is forgiveness with the Lord that he may be feared. The Bible records that David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. We need to follow that pattern when we have sinned. In verse 13 of our Colossians passage, Paul writes, For God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. That's Christianity 101. It's all forgiven. The slate is clean. It's a new day. Jesus called it being born again, like Mary Magdalene, like Zacchaeus, like the gathering demoniac like Saul on the road to Damascus. One of my favorite authors is the late Brennan Manning, a former Catholic priest, a mystic, a spiritual zealot, who descended into alcoholism, sexual immorality, addiction, and wound up living on the streets. But the Jesus who forgave all his sins found him, revealed his love for him, and raised him up. Brennan ended his life with a wide-ranging teaching ministry And wrote books that have helped thousands upon thousands. He always had one subject, the love of Jesus for us, the forgiving, constant, undefinable love of Jesus for us. His tagline was, God loves us as we are, not as we should be, because we'll never be as we should be. I identify with Brennan because I too am a man who has needed a lot of forgiveness and grace. Because of the victory of the cross, that forgiving love has been available. I love the picture Ezekiel paints in chapter 47 of the stream flowing out from the temple of God. There will be swarms of living things wherever this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this river flows. This is the river of forgiveness and mercy that Jesus won on Good Friday on that cross. I believe that when Jesus forgives us in a personal repentant encounter, that he breaks the chains of sin. In our passage, verse 14, Paul says he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And before that, he says that when we came to Christ, he Cut away our sinful nature. The charges have been dropped. The surgery has been successful. We are free from the power of every sin. So, sin's dominance is broken in my life. My sin nature has been cut away through the forgiveness of Christ. But why do I still sin? Why do people who confess Christ still battle with failures? Although the controlling power of sin has ended, I still live in this world. There are still spiritual rulers and authorities, and I am still living in my fallen flesh. Not to mention that the people we interact with daily are just as broken and hard to get along with as we are. So, we do fall, but we do get up again. We do get up again. We swing and miss at that curveball. I'm never going to hit that silly thing, we say in exasperation. But we don't go back to the dugout. A former mentor once encouraged me when I felt like giving up. He said, Mike, Babe Ruth struck out more than anyone else, but he also hit more home runs than anyone else. There's an overall dominion of sin in our lives that is broken at Golgotha. Only Christ could have done that through his forgiveness, and wiping the slate clean. That required his death on the cross. But I still fight with my sin. I'm still a pilgrim on my way to the celestial city, as John Bunyan depicted the character Christian in his classic book, Pilgrim's Progress. I may fail, but I get up, I wash, put on lotion, change my clothes, and go to the temple to worship. And lo and behold, just as Christian did, we are making progress. We continue to live out a lifestyle of repentance, quick to admit our shortcomings, hopefully quick to at least consider criticisms and rebuke. Even though all our sins are forgiven, we continue to agree with the book of Acts that I will do my best to maintain a clear conscience before God and all the people. We continue to forgive others as we have been forgiven. When we realize how much we've needed it, we give to others in their place of need. I remember a big Samoan guy who also worked in YWAM seeking me out one evening when I lived in American Samoa We sat in the dark place just just yards away from the South Pacific Ocean and talked. Corey finally got down to the root reason of why he wanted to talk. I feel like you don't trust me, he said. My knee-jerk reaction was to defend myself. Sadly, that is often the case. I thought I trusted him. Well, wait a minute. Let me think about this. As I'm sitting there, With this new information circling around in my head, I see tears coming down Corey's cheeks. All reasoning about the matter ceased within me, and I said, Corey, I am so sorry. I did not know I was doing that. Will you forgive me? And he did forgive me. Isn't that awesome? That talk stuck with me. It has until this day, even though it was long, long ago. After that, I sought with renewed vigor to express trust in the people I worked with. The victory of the cross. This is Good Friday. It is a good Friday for us. As we hunker down, pray, love our families and friends, and in many respects, get back to the basics of life, We stand in the victory of Christ that happened on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago. We stand forgiven. We have an endless river of mercy in the person of Jesus. Let us walk in repentance and mercy toward others and thereby really see the spin of the baseball and experience with grace the curveballs that come our way. What a privilege to be part of Cornerstone and of your lives Your love has helped Laura and I and our family in so many deep ways. Thank you. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. We believe we are forgiven and that our sin nature has been cut away. We commit ourselves to seek forgiveness from you and from others when we fall short. Give us a tender heart to realize our shortcomings. We desire to forgive those who offend or hurt us. Thank you for the glorious victory that we live in. Help us in these dark but yet somehow hopeful days of isolation. You are the God of the whole earth and you are in control of human events. Lead us to be people of the cross in our homes and with each other. We pray for a timely and sure ending of this COVID-19 crisis. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Amen.
2: Savage flow You've seen the Double cure Safe from road Strongest, fleeting breath When my heart...
0: For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong.